Well, good morning, church. Y'all look great this morning. Come on, are you awake? You ready to go? I'm extra awake. I missed last Sunday. I want to thank David for stepping in and speaking. He did a phenomenal job. Come on, were you here last week? I just want to tell you, y'all don't know this. He had not seen what he was going to preach until about 10 minutes before. And none of y'all would have even noticed because he just flowed so well with it. And so I just want to thank, I'm proud of our team. I was telling our, our serve team this morning that the beauty of God's church is that it doesn't rise and fall on one person, right? So if I'm not here, the next person is going to step right in and we're going to keep doing what God has called us to do. Amen? Come on, I'm going to have to wake you up this morning. I like a church that talks back to me so I can, I can tell you're engaged. It's all right. You can be a little vocal in church this morning. I do want to get into uh, our stronger series. But before I do that, I want to remind you of our Vintage Conference. It's coming up this weekend. It'll be Friday and Saturday. It's not too late to register for that. Uh, it's going to be a conference really for anyone uh, that loves God and loves church, quite frankly. We're going to go over our theme. It's going to be strength and unity. We're going to talk about what unity looks like in the church. We're going to talk a lot about who we are as Vintage Church and our culture and, and how we are, are doing what we do, the way we do it intentionally to honor God and to, and to make room for people. And so uh, if you want to be a Part of that, you can go follow that QR code and register. I believe it's $29 for the, for the whole weekend, and that's Friday night and Saturday up until around 3 o'clock, so it doesn't even take up your entire Saturday. Some of you late college football watchers, you could still watch your night games, but uh, that's going to be a great time, so I want to encourage you to come and, and, and be a part of that. We are jumping into week three of Stronger. Uh, last week, David talked about the belt of truth, how it's foundational to the whole armor of God. It really is the centerpiece, uh, and it's the, which is why we covered it first and why Scripture lists it first. But today we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Come on, the Bible says that there are none righteous, no, not one. You and I have no righteousness in and of ourselves. Do you agree? Amen. This mic's a little boomy. Maybe you can pull it back. I mean, he wasn't planning on me being this energetic. But we don't have a righteousness of our own. Matter of fact, Paul said that, that what he would consider even his own righteousness, it's, it's basically filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. And so we're going to talk about this need for being in Christ, having the righteousness of Christ. That is what is, is armor for us. That is what protects us, not any righteousness of our own. Here's the big idea in this series. When we win uh, spiritual battles, we win them by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. We talked about this. This is a spiritual war that's going on, so we can't use natural means or natural weapons to overcome. We've got to use the spiritual weapons that God has given us. Before we jump in, I want to give you two other things you have to know, and you have to be settled in this. You have to believe this if you're going to understand what we're going to talk about, and it's this. What you see with your eyes is not all there is. Come on, anybody grow up a Transformers fan? I'm aging myself, right? Transformers more than me. Yeah, come on, that's right. That is what the spiritual realm is like. Think about the wind, right? We know the wind exists. How many of you ever seen the wind? None of us. We can't see the wind, but we can absolutely see the effects of wind on objects. You can feel the effects of the wind, right? It's the same in the spiritual realm. I want to help you understand this. It's very simplistic. The spiritual realm is active it is present and just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and we can always see the effects of the spirit realm on individuals and on our lives 
Why is it that, that you'll see generational uh, people stuck in, in, in alcoholism or in, in depression or, or suicidal or some of these other things? Make no mistake, you can go to therapy, you can get medications, but the, there's a root there that is found in the spiritual realm. Some of you are like, I don't know if I believe that. I'm telling you, you've got to believe the truth. And most churches, not most, many churches are not helping people understand this reality and how to function in it, which is why the best most people can do to overcome things in life is just deal with the symptoms. Just medicate the symptoms, right? Just try and get through and manage and just live your life. I love that song we sang. I think it was the second song. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I don't believe that as Christians, as believers, that you have to live your life just managing symptoms. And I'm not just talking about physical sickness. I'm talking about mental health issues and all these things. The root of those things is in the spiritual realm. There are unclean spirits. There are spirits of depression. Spirits that want to put that want to torment you. Why is it you see people who are not even seeking to be tormented find that they're just tormented. They can't overcome. They have thoughts day after day of, of wanting to harm themselves or, or stuck in they, their, their value or their worth. They're stuck and they don't feel worthy. They, can't, they, they don't believe what God actually says about them. Why? Because there's a spirit that is nagging at them. I'm passionate about this stuff in case you can't tell. Because I'm tired of seeing people walk around in an endless circle, in an endless cycle, because they just don't understand what God has made available to them. They don't understand that it's not supposed to be that way. You can stand and you can contend to be free, and you can walk in freedom in Christ. Second thing we've got to know is you're not alone in your battles. You are not alone in your battles. Come on, have you ever felt alone in life? The devil, one of his favorite moves is isolation. If the devil can get you to stay away from other people, from other believers, to be disconnected from the body of Christ, guess what? He's having a heyday. The Bible says that when, when two walk together, right, if one falls in a ditch, there's, there's someone there that can help them come out of that ditch. But if you're walking by yourself and you fall in a roadside ditch, you've got no one to help you. But Jesus said, you're never alone. He is always with you. Even the times you are by yourself, you're not truly fully by yourself if you're a believer. Again, I'm talking to believers. God is there. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. You got to believe that. Look at this story in 2 Kings 6. There's a, this is an interesting story where... Uh, the nation of Israel was at war against the king of Aram, a neighboring country, and there was a servant who was talking with Elijah. How many of you remember Elijah? Elijah, God did some really cool things through his life. It says here in 2 Kings 6.15, when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elijah, oh, my master, what are we to do? Elijah said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. The difference is the servant was looking at what he could see in the natural. Elisha was seeing in the supernatural. The servant was scared. He looked out and saw the enemy forces everywhere. There were horses, warriors, all sorts of troops. And he was saying, I don't know what you're looking at, 
delusional old man, but what I'm seeing in front of me is way bigger than, than, than what we've got in the natural. And here's how Elisha answers him in verse 17. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's my prayer for you this morning, that God would open up your eyes to see beyond just the natural. And this doesn't mean that we go looking for boogeymen, right? Some of you are like, well, I'm going to be a demon slayer after this series. Come on, that's not what this is about, right? We don't go looking for fights. I was talking with, with Jimmy yesterday for a moment, and, and we were talking about how Jesus, when he told his disciples, listen, you can, you can go and, 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 and lay hands on the sick, and they'll be healed, and you can cast out devils, and, and if you drink anything poisonous, it won't harm you, and if, you, if somebody you know, slips a snake under your bed and it bites you, you don't have to worry about it. God's protecting you. But that doesn't mean, like he said, that we go looking. You got any poison I could drink? I want to test this scripture out. Do you have any snakes around that are venomous? I'd like to really see how literal this is. No, that's not what this means. We don't go just because now we understand the spiritual realm and how to fight and operate, and it doesn't mean that we go look to pick fights. But it means when you come up against something, guess what? You're already victorious in Christ. Already. All you have to do is apply the victory. I told you, I think, in week one, this is not a question of, is God going to win this time? Is he going to pull it out? There's, the fight's already over. This is about applying the truth of God's word and what he's done to our situations. Oh, I'm preaching myself happy today. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. I like another verse that says, uh, He will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him. You've got to keep the word of God and his promises and his truth fresh in your mind and in your heart. So when you encounter situations that look like they're the opposite of God's truth, you know what to stand on. You know what to stand on. A.W. Tozer said this, a scared world needs a fearless church. Do you believe that? Are you ready to be a fearless church? Oh, you don't sound too convinced. Are you ready to be a fearless church? Good. Because there may be times coming that, that won't be as comfortable to be a, a Christian. Come on, we're going to pray that they'll stay as far away as they can. But, but make no mistake, God doesn't love us any more than he loves all the other believers around the world who are dealing with persecution every day. We're not his favorite. Come on, you ever, you ever grow up in church and hear people say, well, I'm, I'm God's favorite. You're God's favorite. Listen. We're all God's favorite, every one of us, equally his favorite. And so if some deal with persecution, guess what? We may have to deal with it at some time or another as well in ways that we haven't experienced. And I don't want to hear, well, I'm persecuted. Somebody, somebody said I'm, I'm an idiot for being a Christian. That's not persecution. You just need to have tougher skin. And then remind yourself of what the scripture says. A fool has said in his heart there's no God. So you're going to get bummed out by what a fool just told you about your belief in Christ? And doesn't Scripture say that, that, the, that the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe, but to those who understand and believe it is the power of God and the salvation? 
Come on, we got to be a fearless church. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Today, uh, in verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. We did that last week. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, this is what we're diving into today. I want to give you five characteristics of this breastplate. Number one, it was, most, it was the most beautiful and striking part of the Romans' armor. It was formed, it was fashioned out of bronze. Uh, it, it had various etchings involved. It was the largest uh, in front because it's the greatest purpose. Its greatest purpose was to cover the vital organs. It was most, uh, were made out of brass, like I said, and soldiers would keep them polished. So I, I read that, that even... They would be so reflective that that would even be intimidating to the enemies when they came up against the Roman soldiers and they saw the sun beaming off and reflecting off of it. It was blinding to them. It was covered on the front and back with inscriptions, markings identifying the soldier's unit, hometown, etc. It weighed in excess of 40 pounds. Come on, 40 pounds is not light. Imagine carrying that around and then having to fight and be mobile. That's a, that's a weighty thing. So is the righteousness of Christ. It's a weighty thing. It's fitting that the breastplate is associated with righteousness because our righteousness in Christ is what guards our heart. As Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. Isaiah 59 says this, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far off for truth has stumbled in the public square and honesty cannot enter. Truth is missing and whoever turns from evil is plundered. The Lord saw that there was no justice and he was offended. He saw that there was no man. He was amazed that there was no one interceding. So his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness supported him. He put on a righteousness as body armor. See, the first one to wear this breastplate was Jesus. The first one to model what it looks like to wear righteousness as a breastplate to cover and protect and to walk in was Jesus. Let's talk more about this righteousness. How do we understand it? Number one, God is the righteous standard. Remember, I shared with you at the beginning, there's none righteous, no, not one. Only God is righteous. Now, we may have self-righteousness. You ever been around a Christian that's self-righteous? That means that they've decided that they qualify for a certain level of righteousness and, and everyone else should acknowledge that? There's surely no pride in any of that, right? No, it's not our righteousness. Our righteousness is worth diddly squat. But it's the righteousness of Christ. God is absolutely good, perfect, and righteous. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. Righteousness, listen to this, is relative to God, not others. When we're talking about righteousness, there's one standard. It's God's. It's not, well, I'm, I'm more righteous because I don't do the things that so-and-so does. Or I'm more righteous than this person because I pray longer. Or I come to church every single week. Well, you should come to church every single week, but you don't get righteousness credit for it. It's called being a part of the body and showing up, right? We don't get stars for doing what we ought to do as believers and as disciples. The Bible says to gather together, forsake not the assembling of the saints. We don't get extra credit for doing the basics. 
I don't know why I said that, but someone needed to hear it. This is difficult for us because we always want to compare. I would, I would tell you the enemy's always going to want to get you into the trap of comparison. And if you've heard that old quote before, comparison is the thief of joy. You want to lose your joy? Start comparing your life and yourself to other people. I'm telling you, some of you will get your joy back if you turn Instagram off. Try it. Try it for one day. I tell this story before. I had to stop following uh, Ryan Tedder's Instagram. Ryan Tedder's a he's a singer and producer and music and very talented and all that good stuff. But I would watch his Instagram, and and he'd be in this this airstream that he's had turned into a portable studio, and and he'd be parked somewhere where there's palm trees, and I would be so jealous. I would watch. I'm like, this is. This, this, that's my dream, Lord. Can I just make music in a dope airstream where there's palm trees? If, if y'all ever lose me and I don't come back, that's what happened. I, God finally answered my prayer, and I've got to go somewhere tropical and make music for the rest of my life. But honestly, I, the more I would see him making music you know, on his laptop in a private jet going somewhere and then all this stuff, I started feeling less about my life. And finally, I got to the point where I was like, this is stupid. His life is his life. My life is my life. I need to start being able to enjoy my life more. And I'm still working on that. And sometimes I got to catch myself and remind myself, stop comparing your life to somebody else's. When you get to heaven, what is God going to say? Hopefully he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I have called you to do, what I have asked you to do. You may not get any credit, you may not get any fame, you may not get any wealth, this side of heaven, but if you are obedient to what God has called you to do on this side of heaven, I promise you, you will not be sorry when you get to the other side. We've got to stop comparing. Even in the church, I'm telling you, that's one of the things that, that, that you struggle with, especially when you do start living right, right? When you do start living according to, to how God says to live, and you start looking at the people who are still struggling and still not doing it according to what God says, it's real easy for the devil to go, yeah, so you're better than them. You're more righteous than them. Don't let them get you there. Don't let them put you in that trap. You ought to tell the devil, no, shut up. It's not my righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness. And I'm going to go and I'm going to help them see that they too can walk in his righteousness and not their own. Our righteousness is determined by God's righteousness. Isaiah 64 says this. All of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Romans 3.23, famous scripture. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have no righteousness outside of Christ's righteousness. I think I've made that clear. Number three, Jesus was and is righteous. Look at what Jeremiah said about him in 23. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Isaiah 53, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Pilate's wife knew it about him. Matthew 27, while he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. 
And multiple times in the book of Acts, Jesus is referred to as the righteous one. Look at this in Acts 7. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Verse 22, or chapter 22, and he said, The God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth. Acts 3.14, you, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. That was when they were screaming for Barabbas instead of Jesus. And look at what the Apostle Peter has to say about him in 1 Peter 2.21. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. Oh, come on, we can learn from that. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. It is all about Jesus and his righteousness. Tell your neighbor, you're not righteous. And don't tell that neighbor, I already knew that. But you can have Jesus' righteousness. Come on, tell your neighbor, you can have Jesus' righteousness. It's good to talk to one another in church. Acknowledge the people you're sitting next to. Jesus. Jesus wasn't his righteous. Number four, Jesus paid the penalty of our sin and gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. How's the world supposed to see what righteousness looks like if they can't see it in his, believer, in his followers? We're supposed to be showing the world what it looks like to walk in the righteousness of Christ. Paul wants us, wants us to take on this new identity to protect and preserve the very core of who we are in Christ. He wants us to know this. The breastplate of righteousness, number five, is our righteousness in Christ. Let's get practical about this. In every relationship, we are accepted because of what we do, but not so in our relationship with God. Come on, do you have relationships where it feels like you're only accepted when you're doing what you need to be doing or what someone else wants you to do? Have you ever been there? But God's not that way with us. Our relationship with God is not based on our works. We are accepted by God because of what he did. Let that sink in. I was thinking as we were singing that last song and it, it got to the bridge, I felt like we sang that bridge like 5,000 times, which is fine. Because I've, honestly, I had a conversation with somebody in Nashville one time who he didn't like church music because he couldn't understand why they repeated stuff over and over and over. And I thought to myself, because it's not until you say it over and over and over that it finally sinks in from, from just head knowledge into your spirit and into your heart. Sometimes, I would say more times than not, you've got to be reminded. You've got to remind yourself. David said that I stir, he, he would stir his soul up. He would have to remind himself of who he is in God and remind himself of who God is and God's faithfulness. To encourage himself. And when we're singing those songs, you're like, oh, I already sang that line twice. Yes, but has it really sunk in that he's not forsaken you? 
Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy of me. And some of you still, when you're singing, are like, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy of me. But there's going to be a moment when it's going to, it's going to click. That light bulb is going to go off. And you're going to start. It's going to change. And, and all of a sudden, you'll be like, let me sing this line 20 more times. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy of me. You've got a lion inside of those. Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's, if you don't believe me, God's all about reminding. Over and over in Scripture, he told them, stack up stones so that you don't forget. Remind, remind, remind them. Samuel Johnson said this, one of my favorite all-time quotes. People need to be reminded more often than instructed. We've got to be reminded. And as we sing these songs, it, it reminds us of who God is and what he's done for us. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to just keep on singing. Keep on saying, keep on worshiping. How many of you feel like sometimes our worship ends too soon? Good. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Maybe start adding another song. Uh, I'll get with my worship director and we'll talk about that. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'm telling you, there's just something, side note, but there's just something about, again, I was, when I was talking with Jimmy yesterday, I said there's, there is so much that happens in the context of worship. That a million sermons won't get to. There are just moments. I've seen it in all of my years leading worship. I've been doing it for over 25 years. And I'm telling you, in my own life and in the lives of people, I've, I've seen change just fall off of people as they just give themselves to God fully. I've seen people get healed, physically healed, mentally healed, emotionally healed. When they weren't even asking God for it, they were just literally worshiping God and focused 100% on who he is. And things just lift off of their life. I tell you, you want to get uh, demonic oppression off of your life? One of the greatest aspects of spiritual warfare is worship. Because I tell you, you want to know what demons hate? The presence of God. And my Bible says that he inhabits, this is a sidebar, mini sermon. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when you begin to praise, guess what? Demons have to flee. They have to run. They start looking for things, to, uh, other places to go. You want to get chaos out of your house? You want to get frustration, all these other things? Start worshiping in your house. Worship in your car. Come on, that's one of the best places. You can sing loud. Nobody can hear you. You look funny if somebody's going by taking pictures, but... Promise you, it'll change the atmosphere just like that. So, how do we put on this? I'm sorry, I skipped one. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Say, not from myself. It is God's gift. Thank you, Lord, for your gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. Come on. You can spot a self righteous person a mile away because what are they bragging about? Their works. Good for you. Sorry, sometimes I get a little sarcastic. People start talking to me and bragging to me about all their good works, and I'm just like, oh, you just don't get it. I love that you're passionate about God, but that it, your salvation, your righteousness is not from any of that. Okay, I'll keep moving because I have other thoughts, but they're not, they're not for here. How to put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Let me give you some practical things. Run to Jesus. Come on, that's a good thing to do. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Run to Jesus. Obviously, if he's the one that has the righteousness that we need, who should we go to? Him. If you're not a believer, today you can put your faith in Christ, and guess what? You can exchange your filthy, no good, muddy, soiled garments and put on his splendor, his righteousness today, and walk out of here in him, a new person. Number two, stay humble. Remember, God created you. You didn't create him, right? Our lives should be orbited around him, not around us. Everything in our life will get better if we prioritize him and put him in his rightful place. If your life is a little chaotic and, and a little out of order and disarray, that's the first question you need to ask. Where is God in my life? Man, I didn't even know I was going to use all this stuff. I was talking, again, part of the conversation with Jimmy yesterday. We were talking about how the difference between the Eastern culture mindset and, and Westernized thinking uh, one of those things that affects our faith is that in the Eastern world, it's understood that your faith is the central thing and everything else in your life orbits around it. There's not this thought of, well, I'll just compartmentalize God. But in the Western side of the world, that's what we do. Everything is about putting it in its place, compartmentalizing. And so, so many people, God is a part of their life, but he's not really dead set or central where everything else is orbiting around it. I can tell you, the Christian life was always meant to be with Jesus at the center and everything else fits around that. My job, my family, who I marry, my kids, my kids' extracurricular activities. You're like, oh, don't touch that. Listen, make no mistake. You can tell your kids all day who the most important person in life is. But if you don't show them that and model that, they'll know. They'll know. They'll know it was, really, it was really soccer or it was really ballet or it was really gymnastics or it was really whatever. Paint club. Is that a thing? Paint club? <laughs> Ought to be a thing. Sounds cool. Paint club. <laughs> Just include me on the royalties if someone starts it and runs with it. I got to run because I'm... Gonna keep you a little long. James 4 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, therefore, God says, resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, if you want to attract God, humility. If you want to repel God, if you want as little of God in your life as humanly possible, let your pride and arrogance lead. I promise you, God will have nothing to do with you. Puff up and be your own, be your own God, little G. Let life be all about you. Walk in that pride, and I promise you, God will be like, well, then go ahead and do your thing. And let me know how that works out for you. It won't. Keep listening. Number three, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Got to keep listening. Why do you come to church every week? Because we got to keep hearing the word of God. Why do you read your Bibles throughout the week? Because you got to keep hearing the word of God. Why? Because you're hearing a million other messages opposing God in every other place that you go. Right? It's coming at you in the TV. It's coming at you through your social media. It's coming at you through the other people that you're around who don't know Christ. Right? And you can only have one thought in your mind at a time. 
right? And so if you got all these other thoughts coming at you, how are you going to stay walking in the righteousness of Christ? You've got to keep replacing those thoughts with God's thoughts. Replacing those lies with God's truth. You've got to keep it in front of you. Repent often, number four. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? One of the greatest ways that you stay in close proximity with God and with his spirit and with his presence is staying in an attitude of repentance. Come on, we don't just repent one time. Lord, forgive me for all my sins, past, present, and future. Amen. It doesn't work like that. Come on, when you blow it, have you been able to just apologize once to the people in your life and never have to apologize again to them? I didn't think so. It's the same with God. Right? When every time that we blow it, every time that we miss the mark, what do we need to do? We need to be quick to repent like David. God, to you and you alone, I have sinned. And if you've sinned to someone else, you need to go and repent to them. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. We've got to walk in this attitude of repentance. Be quick to say, you know what? That, that was me. I screwed up. I missed it. Lord, please forgive me. And guess what? He will every single time. Every single time. As we close, I want to remind you, this, I don't have the scripture in front of me, but the Bible says the righteous fall seven times and get up again. That's not talking about your own righteousness. But one of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest, most powerful things that we have when we walk in Christ and we're in his righteousness is that when we fall, every single time we can get back up. That breastplate can just keep taking it, can keep taking hits, and it can continue to protect you and to guard you, and you can continue to get up every single time. But you got to do it in him. You got to do it in his strength. This message ought to be freeing for, for many of us. It's not about your works. Some of you are trying so hard to be a Christian. Listen, could you just rest in knowing who you're in? It's not about your own works. It's not about your own, how good you're being at this. It's about how transparent. It's about how humble, about how vulnerable. It's about how much you'll recognize that it's all about him and what he's done. Let me pray for you. If you just bow your head. This morning, I'm not going to belabor the point, but if, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith in him for salvation, he loves you. He died for you. He went to the greatest of lengths to make a way for you to be reconciled to him. All of us had a sin problem. But Jesus is the answer. He came and paid that price for us, suffered the, 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 the torture, and, and ultimately died the death that we should have died in our place. And he did it so that he could give us this exchange, our filthy rags for his righteousness. If you've never made that decision, I want you to consider it today. Don't do it out of compulsion. But if you understand that you need God and you want God in your life, you want to take your faith seriously, you can make that decision today. And for those of you that just need to recommit your life, you can do that this morning as well. So I'm going to ask you on the count of three, if that's you in one of those two places, 
to lift your hand. One, two, three. Every head bowed, eyes closed. Thank you for that hand. Come on, every time someone accepts Christ, the Bible says the angels rejoice. There's a party in heaven happening. Thank you for raising that hand. Church, let's just pray this together. Thank you for the hand. Heavenly Father, yeah, repeat after me if you would. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving me enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sin, to take the place on that cross for my debt of sin that I couldn't pay. Thank you that I don't have to have works. All I have to do is have faith and receive the free gift of your salvation. I ask you to come into my life, wash me clean, and be my Savior and my Lord for the rest of my life. I will serve you because I love you. And because of what you've done for me, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all.